Previously on Infants on Thrones. I'm wondering if you subscribe to any form of karma whatsoever. You are deeply loved and cherished forever. Obviously, justice is a big part of what I find extremely important or valuable. You have nothing to fear. If I'm going to drop the whole notion that there's some sort of like eternal justice, like if you're an asshole in this life, then you die, then you get your comeuppance after this life. We are eternal spiritual beings through multiple incarnations. Okay, well, if I have to drop that notion, which is where I stand, you can do no wrong. Then I kind of fall into, okay, well, what will fill that void now? And I, I find myself thinking about karma quite a bit. You can do no wrong, as long as we realize that we reap what we sow. If we hand out pain and suffering to others as part of the lessons we're trying to learn, we're going to end up either making amends in this incarnation or having to live through the pain and suffering on their behalf in that life review. There is no need for an eternal hell. And in fact, that life review provides plenty of impetus for us to learn the lessons of that love and then plan that next incarnation with our soulmates and come back in here. If you're an asshole, then, you know, assholery is going to sort of surround you, so, so... There's plenty of evil and darkness in this world, but it's not a force that is against love and light of that infinitely powerful creator. We simply serve as channels to bring that love and light into this world, and it displaces the darkness and evil. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode 638, An Insatiable Need for Justice in the Meandering Search for Karma, part 5. And we brought Christy Johnson back to talk about her experience with her dad that you heard about in the last episode, but now she's going to talk about it in the light of this idea of karma and justice and Eben Alexander and his near-death experience and reincarnation and all these things. How, how does this work in the life of somebody who has experienced what Christy has experienced? What does karma mean to Christy? That's what we're going to find out today on Infants on Thrones. But before we get to the interview with Christy, I want to read an email from a listener that came just a couple of days ago, and it, it wasn't specifically about the Karma series, but I think it relates to today's episode, and it's uh, it's just something that I want to share. So this, this comes from Adam, and Adam says, Dear Infants, I've been a listener for a little over a year. I'm also out of the church for about two years. As I process my faith loss, I find your words both helpful and relieving at the same time, it's nice not to feel insane, and your humor keeps me grounded in reality. Thanks, Adam. And Adam continues, While I'm a fan of the show, I feel like the rhetoric towards ex-Mormons is demeaning and dismissive of our experience. It surprises me because we are your target audience, and yet you continually disparage us. I'm not talking about going after John DeLynn or others. I'm talking about all the time some of you tell us how insignificant we are as a community. You've also told us that we're bitter, jaded, and angry. You've also said that we should move on from Mormonism. What if we can't move on? What if it's a part of us that we can't hide or remove? I'll never be able to completely erase Mormonism. It shaped me for the first 24 years of my life. 
It permeates all of my family relationships. It conditioned me in such a way that I still have to adjust my lens when viewing a problem. You seem to have completely rid yourselves of all that baggage. I wish I could do that. I look up to you in that way. I'm receiving mixed messages about what you want from your audience and who your audience is. You're asking for something paradoxical. You want us to listen and engage, but you also tell us to move on. Who is your podcast for, if not for ex-Mormons? Why are you always so critical of us? Why do you pretend not to be part of us, but still ask us to listen? What is your agenda and message? Why do you act like we're small and don't matter if we're the only listeners you have? Why still do the podcast if you don't care about Mormonism anymore? Cheers, Adam. So I sent Adam a response, and I'm going to read you part of it, and I'm going to address some of those questions that he had at the end there. So I said, Adam, I've been following my personal interests, and I've been podcasting about those for quite a while now, so I guess that my intended audience is simply anyone who finds the same kinds of things interesting. There's really no agenda other than that. Well, that's not totally true. I suppose I have an agenda of helping take the sting away from going through what we went through and leaving the church. And I think I see a pattern now of different emotional states that people go through when they leave the church. And I'd like to help people move through those stages in a healthy and supportive way, but still fun and playful. If someone is stuck in guilt or shame about leaving the church, I'd love to help lift them out of it. People who feel like they hurt their family or friends by following their conscience and leaving the church, or people who feel shameful that they ever believed in this nonsense in the first place. That shame and guilt can be very discouraging and almost paralyzing at times. People can get apathetic, despondent, and some even suicidal. Anger often follows that grief, feeling that we were lied to, taken advantage of, victimized. And anger can be really helpful, it can be healing, it can be personally empowering, getting people out of despondency. But anger can also blind us to the truths about ourselves and others that we would maybe otherwise be able to see if we weren't stuck in our own defensive fight-or-flight mode. And I think there have been times when I've been critical about ex-Mormons who seem to indulge in the anger without showing any interest in letting go of that anger once it's served its healing purposes and then moving on to healthier stages. Pride often follows anger. It's the sense that we ex-Mormons are better than the stupid blind sheep TBMs. And I think pride is a healthier place to be than shame or guilt or grief or anger, but it's still pretty divisive and unfair. It's not very kind, it's not very loving, and ironically enough, it's usually one of the main gripes that ex-Mormons have against TBMs, that they're prideful. <laughs> I know that I've been critical of ex-Mormons who get stuck in pride, and I probably have also expressed guilt about contributing to that at times when I was stuck in my own pride but couldn't see it. I think it takes a lot of courage to get to a place of neutrality and acceptance, where anything goes, anything is okay. Not only of TBMs, but of ourselves and of the many mistakes that we make on our way out, or at any times in our lives, really. We have to be prepared to accept truth wherever we find it and not reject things because they don't match our preconceived ideas about how things are, especially if those truths are about our own blind spots. So if we can accept things as they are, then I think it's easier to be very rational about things, very efficient with our own thoughts and feelings, not swayed by those strong emotions of shame, guilt, grief, anger, pride, etc. as they pop up in our lives, and they always seem to pop up in our lives. But I've seen people, and I've experienced this myself briefly, get to a place where you can deal with all of this better. Mindfulness really helps. 
you can see that it's counterproductive to go backwards into those heavier emotions that drag you down, and you can actually feel the difference. And it no longer makes any rational sense to waste your time and energy on non-productive things. Once you can rationally be in the moment, it's easier to find the many, many little things in life to be grateful for. And that gratitude brings more happiness and joy and love for life for the people around you. And once you get to unconditional love, boom, that's where it's all at. Unconditional love, no matter what. You just remember that in any given moment, you have far more to be grateful for than you really have to complain about. You realize that everyone is just like you. They're born into this world as innocent children who just want to love and be loved by the people around them. And they're raised in a culture where they become misguided. And they, we think that we have to conform to this or that, or avoid this or that, yada, yada, yada. But everyone is innocent at their core. They're misguided and misinformed all throughout our lives. So maybe you heard times when I or the other infants were being critical of ex-Mormons that we thought were stuck in something like anger or pride. But that would have been me responding out of my own anger and pride, by the way, rather than responding from acceptance or unconditional love, which is ultimately where I want to be. So thanks for taking the time to write, Adam. Now, Adam and I had a few more exchanges after this, and, and he mentioned that it, he could never forgive the church for all the harm and trauma that it's done. And, and this is where I think that it ties into our conversation with Christy today. So I'm going to give you a little spoiler. <laughs> I'm going to jump ahead to the end of this discussion because I think that what Christy builds up to is so important and so poignant, and it's this. There's something about the, a shift that happens in your understanding, and it doesn't get them off the hook at all. It gets you off the hook. And now when I go forward and I date and I don't put a burden on these men that I see, you know, I'm not looking for a father figure to come in and rescue me or give me everything my dad didn't. I've relieved that from them too. You know, it's just, it, there's some kind of shift that happens and it's totally worth learning how to forgive. And so Adam and any other listeners out there who feel the same way that Adam does, I, I don't want you to think that being anywhere that you are is a bad place. You know, if, if you're in anger, there's good reasons that you're in anger, and anger's helping you. And if you're in pride, there's good reasons, and pride is helping you. The only thing that I would say for me is that I, I recognize that when I'm in those places, I'm blinded to other things that are true. And I'm just not paying attention to those things that are true, and I'm not giving weight to those things that are true. And I think what I'm learning from Christy, what I've learned from her about the importance of forgiveness is that it allowed her to live her life in ways that she wasn't able to live her life before because of the guilt that she was carrying around that wasn't hers. And so she learned how to let that go. She learned how to forgive. And that doesn't mean it's okay what her dad did to her. It doesn't mean that she's not trying to get justice. But it means that she's releasing herself from carrying around that burden. So I think it's a really important discussion that we had today with Christy, and I'm excited to share it with you. And I'll just shut up and do it now. Look for the good in everything. Look for the people who will set your soul free. It always seems impossible until it's done. Look for the good in everyone. Hey. I, <laughs> I feel like one of those did you guys see saturday night live this last weekend 
No. no. Or the weekend before, they're all in a Zoom meeting. And like one of the ladies is like this. <laughs> and I was like cracking up. I'm like, that's going to be me. Are they are they doing like real Saturday Night Live? Or are they all doing it through Zoom, like from their home? Uh, they're doing it all from home in individual shots, but they did do a Zoom skit where they're all like half. And one lady was going to the bathroom because she didn't know everybody could see. It was just funny. Hi, Tom. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Tom. That was a good segue. Okay. <laughs> Talking about people going to the bathroom. <laughs> hey, Tom. Yeah, I'm sure that's not a coincidence. <laughs> So catch us up, Christy. It's been a, it's been a while since we talked. How are you doing? Um, good. There's some uh, legal things I can't talk about, but um, the uh, you don't have to talk about the things you can't talk about. Okay. So my <laughs> memoirs are going to be um, they're going through their third edit right now. Nice. Um, it's going to be really good, by the way. And um, so that's going to happen soon. And then. Um, I'm Jared Ruga. I don't know if you um, know that name, but he was one of our directors and also the executive producer of the film. He's the one who won the Emmy last year okay. for his first film, Quiet Heroes. Him and I have been working on a podcast together. We pre-recorded before the quarantine, and um, it's going to be called Inflection with mm -hmm. Jared and Christy, and it's about pivotal moments in people's lives, and there's just um, a lot of humor and stuff, so... Um, but we're going to be launching that hopefully within a week. So really, and it's got its own uh, website. Yeah. And then they've been working on a website for me, so it's going to be showing all my, you know, whoops. Can you hear? Can you see me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. There, see, that's what I'm talking about. I'm going to be that skit. Um, <laughs> uh, so the website that they're getting for me, um, they've been working on it, but it's it's got a lot of my media stuff, the documentary, it talks about comedy, there's a comedy scene that I do, and then just a lot of stuff, so it's kind of exciting. So we've been keeping quarantined here, like, for, what, five and a half weeks, and because um, Jared and I, yeah, <laughs> it's, like, been 10 weeks, yeah. Um yeah, it's like the first time I've worn makeup, so you're welcome. I, I didn't want to know who I was. Yeah, maybe maybe Jared will explain. Well, I don't know. Are you guys doing video podcast or are you doing it as just an audio podcast? No, for now it's just audio. And, and we've interviewed four different people, and um, he's got a lot of good connections. The rest of the people that we're going to be interviewing are all out in Los Angeles. So we're actually, you know, he's got a place out there, and then I'm moving the goal was to move towards the end of summer, but I'll be flying. Well, when they allow us to, yeah. who knows, fly back and forth to go out there. That's where the comedy and all that will be. So, yeah, awesome. That's in California. Yeah, in Los Angeles. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Who would have known? Like four years ago, I don't know. Yeah, it's all crazy. So that's kind of what's happening, and. I will say off the record that I have something that is going to be kept off the record. Wow. Holy crap. And you can't tell anybody that. Yeah. So that's all, all I can right. tell you. Well, I'm, I've, I've already started recording. So, so let's, <laughs> let's assume, so I won't, I won't include that. Um, okay. but, but, um, if like as much as you can talk about it, be curious, but I, I don't even think that's really what we need to talk about it. I mean, it's just kind of like an, a side thing that you're doing R really this, this whole thing started maybe a week ago 
when Tom sent me a message where he just asked me this question about what do I think about karma because of, you know, like the, the need for justice, the, the bad guys getting taken care of instead of like getting away scot-free is, you know, always super important. And so we, we've had a couple of discussions back and forth. And, and one, one of the discussions that Tom and I had, we started talking about you a little bit and your situation. And uh, I thought, oh, I, I wonder what Christy would have to say about this. And then, of course, the, the, the uh, in order to believe in karma, you have to believe in like life after death and maybe even reincarnation. And so that's where some of those little videos that I sent you, the clips, that one with John Cleese interviewing uh, Jim Tucker. That's the guy who talks about children. Yeah. 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 yeah I watched and, um, some of that. The other one I watched like three times. Really? The last one you sent me, I was first the first time I listened to it I started crying like bawling my guts out because I it resonated with me and what my experience has been in the last two years like oh, great I've been literally I'm just gonna shut up and I want to hear you <laughs> I don't want to like overtake the whole thing oh but I, that's that's why you're here I want you to please yeah please. For me, I, I the second time I started listening to it as well, um, but yeah, what I could really relate to, and I think I had talked to you guys a long time ago about um, when my mom was dying, and you know, some of those uh, things that she was going through, like she had asked me if I had ever been to through the portal, and I was like, I'm sorry, you know, what are you, what are you talking about? And she was like, you've never been through it? And then she talked about, you know, beautiful scenery and flowers and, you know, um, and then. Uh, what did you think she was talking about when, when she had that conversation with you? Well, I had, I had heard about people who've gone to the other side near death experiences where it's beautiful and the colors are vibrant. So I was kind of like, you know, cause she had a lot of different surgeries through the years and was sickly at times. So I often wonder if maybe she did go over, you know, um, and just kind of kept those with her. But um, the other thing was when it got really close to her death, um, I, I think I told you where I, I fell asleep and I was her major caretaker and uh, she was sitting in her wheelchair and I dozed off <laughs> and um, when I woke up I felt a lot of people in the room that I couldn't see mm. and I never forget it and I looked at her and she had the most angelic look on her face and she said they came to get me. Mm. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, but I told him I'll take the second round. <laughs> and I was like, of course you did. Um, so but that was really cool. But the feelings and just, you know, the near death, like people who die and like who she would talk to that I couldn't see, you know. Um, but the other thing that I really resonated with me as well um, is when he talked about the life reviews. Because I had never really heard, I know I had talked to you guys about that, that that was my own personal feelings, is that that's what I think happens is you take on people that you've heard. And um, when he was describing all of that, I was, I literally sat up and was like, oh my God, this is like spot on to exactly what I felt and have felt. 
but I didn't start feeling that way until after I watched my mother pass away from this life and then had my brother pass away, you know, and then I started like, hmm, and I started, it was just weird. It's like I had stepped into it. Um, I don't want it to sound so deep, but when my mom, remember my mom told me she knew what had been going on and I didn't know that With she knew. Yeah. yeah. And that was devastating and I was angry and I had to literally pray to God to change my heart because she was dying and I didn't want to hate her. Yeah. And I was blessed to be able to look at her from that point forward um, as just a human being, as a child of God with literally no judgment. And it's like I stepped into this realm because I was willing and I asked for it. And by doing that, the rest of my life since that time has been one of gaining like this tremendous knowledge about life and like these life reviews and how we take on things that, you know, if, if we don't make good on them or it's, we're here to learn from it. And so that just blew my mind that he described in detail what I have learned in the last four years of my life. So, so this is interesting to me that you're talking about life reviews. I don't really remember that part from the lecture that he gave. I, I, I bought his book last night, actually, and I started reading it. And I'm about halfway through right now. And I, I just got through a chapter where he was talking about how his experience, he didn't have a life review because he didn't have any sense of who he was um, when, when he was, you know, the, the seven days that he was in that coma. And I, I, I don't know if he, he made the link or if just I was making the link as I was reading it because his neocortex, that outside layer of his brain had been like eaten away by the bacterial meningitis. But that, so he didn't have any sense of himself to have the kind of life review that, that is typical to uh, near-death experience narratives, and that that was an area that was different with him. It, did, did he say something different than that in the... I just remember him talking about, oh, talking about something that he had learned. About oh, okay, it. something that he had learned, but, but not that wasn't part of his... Not that he, it was his personal experience, okay. All right. but that he spoke that it does happen like that. And it's interesting with this whole thing about karma, you know, about people that do bad things, because here's where I think people get confused. Okay. So it's like, well, if people do bad stuff, they're going to pay for it in the next life. So let's don't be too bad. You know, let's don't judge them because they're just making bad mistakes. However, I still think that there should be laws and I still think people should be thrown in prison yeah. and I still think people should pay deeply for what they've done. And um, I don't think that that gives anybody a free pass right? because they get a life review afterwards. I mean, it sounds like the life review is pretty intense, but I just, I, I kind of steer away from that. And karma, I'm still wondering about that. I don't know how you guys feel. I, you know, I look at my father, he's had a great life. I mean, he's got so much love and family around him and he always has. So yeah, he can say he's sorry, you know, his actions do other things, but he's never had bad karma. I mean, I'm not with him 24 seven, 
but he's never been on the street. He's never been turned away from people, even when he was exed, you know, or so I don't believe it always comes back to people. Something that Dr. Alexander, yeah, that does suck. I agree, Tom. (laughs) Something that Dr. Alexander mentioned when you were talking about the review is he was talking about how people, when they're doing that review, they're feeling the pain that they had caused other people and they feel it, feel it so many times greater than they would have if they were here because we don't have the filter of the ego. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He said that that, it's kind of justice, Tom, for me, like thinking that people, if there is life after death, if there is review that they feel it even greater, the harm that they've done to another person. Yeah. Yeah. And it's more on a, a soul kind of a thing which um, instead of, you know, like somebody in prison obviously is going to go through physical and mental and emotional anguish. And it, and it does sound like the karma, or not the karma, but the life review would almost be worse than that. That's what you I'm know? saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. I think it's just so important, though, that we, I keep having to keep myself grounded where I'm like, but we still got to put them in prison. You know, we still have to protect children. We still can't let people get away with stuff. But it's, it kind of is good for me to know that that life review, I believe, is very real. So, Christy, um, I'm just wondering that, you know, what, what goes through your mind or your heart even when you see bad people do bad things, like even your dad, and then nothing ever happens and not even criminal activity or no form of lawful justice. No crime in sin, you might say. Yeah. Right. A good name for a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> oh because my God, I'm wearing the t-shirt. Oh, are you? Oh, nice. Oh. Nice. And I'm um, wearing how does it, on my heart. How do I feel? Um, how do I feel? Um, it, uh, to, to be really transparent about it, it sucks. Um, there is, and I think it's part of our human nature to feel anger. You know, I think that's who we are, but to blatantly see someone be able to have that protection under, you know, a religion or get completely away with it. I mean, this happens all the time, all the time. And you, it, I'm angry about it. And the anger, I still have anger about it. And I think that that's okay. Like, I've made peace that I'm still angry about it. Like, I don't feel like I have to rush through and be like, oh, I'm good with it. Everything's fine. God bless America. You know, no. If you're going to be honest, it sucks. But does, and I, does the anger come from just the, the unfairness of it all? Like, the lack of justice? Or, like, maybe you're not satisfied with seeing sort of the the balance of justice come back yeah i think for me the the anger and the sadness kind of intermingle a little bit because i'm very very sad because the the lives he destroyed it was so unnecessary so it's not like you just hurt yourself when you're doing these bad things when you're affecting multiple lives you know the damage to see my mom 
die the way she did alone, never remarrying. Um, my brother, I mean, none of us married well. I mean, just going to be blunt, except for one brother. He married a really cool chick at one time. But um, we all made really bad decisions. And it, it all goes back to what happened to us growing up. And so, yeah, um, that's what angers me, I think, the most. You know, when I was sitting across from him, and, and Glenn, I know we talked about this, about him being feeble you know, right. and, um, but I remember everything, you know, we can look at him now and it's been like, what can you do now? It's like even sending him to prison. I, at this point, all I would care about that other kids were being protected. It wouldn't have been so much for me. Like he's not going to hurt me now. Yeah. You know, none of our children are being hurt. You know, we broke that chain, that generational, whatever curse that was. And so our, our kids are all protected, but the neighbor kids aren't, you know. And I think the day that I hear that he passes will be a day where I will breathe and be able to finally exhale because I know that he can't hurt anybody else. And I guess that's where the anger is now is that it can still keep going on. But just the life you could have had, you know. And so that's that's really good. I my my wife is dealing with a friend that's going through a domestic abuse situation right now, and there's a little six seven month old child that's involved, and the child's actually dealt with some physical abuse apparently. So DCFS and all that stuff, law enforcement, they're all involved, and my wife's been going up. Uh, trying to be supportive and everything and and it, it's weird because when my wife comes home and then she just kind of decompresses all the situation on me and just kind of the way I'm wired it just it, like I have to kind of hold my breath because all I want to do is drive up there and beat the living shit out of this guy and it's and it's and it's weird because I know a lot of people feel that way right it's like if you see something terrible like that happen you want to take matters in your own hands, become Batman and fix the situation, <laughs> you know, put all the bad guys in jail and then fix it. And it's, it's weird because even there I'm like, well, you know, it, it, at least it's being handled. I'm hoping that everything gets situated properly. I even hope that in a weird sort of way, he sort of gets fixed or healed in some way because he's obviously damaged. Yeah. And I, you know, I, but he needs to not take that trauma or damage out on anyone else. And even right. including himself, I guess, like I, I wouldn't want him to like self-harm or even commit suicide. So that's where I'm even protective of that. But I can't, I have this really difficult time dealing with those emotions that get stirred up when I see an injustice. Like even if I watch the news, and, and I see something tragic happen, like it, it all bubbles up. I don't know if it's like I'm just over empathy charged. I'm not sure what that is. You know, I just immediately start putting myself in that situation and it kind of brings all my stress levels and high blood pressure and everything else. And I just want to get involved to fix it. That means and you're it, human. Is yep. it? Okay. <laughs> okay, good. That's pure humanity right there. Because people it, think that they should be afraid of the anger. You know, we can fill it all 
we have to work it out physically, whatever we do, or become a do, do whatever you have to do to deal with it. But it's completely being human. And I think it's all part of humanity. It doesn't mean that you can act on it, you know, um, to the point where you're off murdering everybody, even if they, you know, you want to stop the abuse. Even because we live in a civil society, you know, but you are absolutely spot on because when I see that shit in the news, oh my God, I literally physically have to get up and walk around because I would either want to be an MMA fighter, <laughs> you know, like throw them in the ring. I'm not afraid, but I don't know how people work with, you know, these kids that get hurt and put them into care. I mean, my heart's like yours, like there is an empathetic, like there's a part of me that is so sensitive to it because I go from like wanting to rescue children or elderly, you know, or I want to step in when there's a crime being committed and be like, you know, pull out a sword and cape, but you can't always, you know, we can do some stuff, but I think it's absolutely human. Well, I mean, I appreciate that, but it still doesn't, you know, this whole question about karma is because I, I really struggled with trying to satisfy that. Like, I don't, I, I don't, I've been wrestling with it so long and I, and I've been reaching, you know, even beyond this realm for something. <laughs> and I, and I really do like the notion and the idea that there is something beyond this life or maybe even if it's a life review or if they have to burn for eternity, that's fine for some of these people anyway. But, you know, it's, it's like the notion of that at least satisfies it, right? Then I can sleep a little better at night. Like these people who just do really shitty things and they never really get any comeuppance in this life. It's really hard. To, it's a hard pill to swallow, you know? I've had to get to the point where, because I see a lot of homeless people, and my heart just like when I see kids, anything, I just, I have to literally sometimes just put it up to God and just be like, is there something that I can personally do about what is happening around me? Or is there something that you need me to do? Or please, can you handle it? You know, because we, we are powerful, but we are not, you know, in capes and swords either. And there, there's got to be some kind of, I don't know, peace or something to know what you can do and what you can't do. You know, but I feel bad for that little baby that's being hurt and that family that's being terrorized. Yeah. You know, I want to go in there. I'd be a cop and like shoot the bad guys and be like, <laughs> okay, now what happened? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Oops. after. Oops. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. so see, when when you're when you're invoking God in that case, does the the thought that crosses your mind if if there's a God who's aware of this and has the ability to step in and intercede, why why is this going on? Why is it even happening? How how do you deal with that if if you're Look, if, if you're, if you're giving it to God, why, why do you think that God is allowing this to happen at all? If there's a God. Um, for me, 
I don't know where in our upbringing that we believe God is going, is this person that just is at our whim. You know what I mean? I don't know why things are allowed to happen because that part never makes sense to me. And I think because there's some kind of an understanding of creation that I am not at the level to understand that. But it doesn't take away that he's not real or she or whatever this it being is. is. Right. I, I, I don't know. I just, because of my own personal experience with knowing that there is a creator and that he's very much aware of me, whether he never stepped in and stopped my dad from what he was doing. There's a lot of shit that still is allowed to happen. And I don't know why, but the only thing that I can hold on to is my personal experiences with the creator, knowing that I am loved and that I have purpose and it may not be to be this all powerful person that can go and destroy all evil. I don't, I just know that my own personal experience is that we are very much loved and that there's a purpose. And I don't know why it's allowed to go on. I have a problem with that, mm -hmm. but I've gotten to a point where it's like, just tell me what I can do. I don't know why you're holding back. I feel like he holds back, but I don't know why he's doing it. And I don't think we know. Yeah. I, I was interested to hear your response to that Eben Alexander talk in comparison to Tom's response to it. And Tom, maybe you can talk a little bit about what your response was to, to Christy, but because the, the, the desire for justice that you both spent the last several minutes talking about is very, very, you know, com compatible, identical, but the reaction to that story was just completely different. And so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if it has to do with this issue of God and, you know, how you feel about God compared to how Tom feels about God or, or the after, because uh, that's interesting to me. When I, when I saw that video, um, after having talked with Tom about um, his, his interest in exploring alternative ways that karma might, might play out in the afterlife. I, I thought, oh, this guy touches on every single one of them. He answers all your questions, Tom. And as you're talking, he's like, what the hell are you talking about, you guys? <laughs> anyway, so I don't need to do my bad Tom impersonation. We got Tom right here to do it. <laughs> Tom could do although, it. Although you Tom might be a little exhausted. Is this like day five? Hashing <laughs> <laughs> it out. Uh, well, I mean, how, how do I explain it? I, I guess what frustrates me the most is that you take his anecdotal experience, right? So everything that he describes, everything that he writes about is completely anecdotal and subjective to him. And I think, I think we can all agree that there's, there's absolutely no evidence to base what he's professing that actually happened. And I, yeah, I think even a couple times in that talk, he even talks about that, that, but what I didn't like, especially during the con that that uh, lecture or whatever, is he made these statements of "believe me, I promise you, trust me." That stuff was driving me bonkers because I don't know this guy. Okay, he's written a book. Whoopty fucking do, you know? Ooh, but uh, you know, I I feel like you got you got to do a little bit more, buddy. You got to do a little bit more to get me on board with it. You know, and, and I brought this situation up with, with Glenn. So my dad, 
he went through a really bad case of pneumonia. They had to put him on a medically induced coma. He was on a ventilator feeding tube. There was a couple times that he flatlined and they had to bring him back. I think three different times during, during all that. And I was there when they woke him up initially and then they had to put him back down. And then when they woke him up again, uh, there was three different times and I was there for each, each of the episodes. And, uh, and I've talked to my dad extensively like about this whole situation, what he recalls. He has no memory of anything. It's, it's just missing. It's like he went into a time machine, (laughs) you know, it's like a whole month of his life or even two months is just gone. He has like very vague memories there. There's a really scary episode that I kept worrying that he would remember. It was one of the earlier times that he was woke up and he just started to panic and he started to pull the tubes off and, and he, and he was looking in my eyes and just tears were just going down his face and he grabbed my hand and just squeezing me. And I started to freak out. Like I could tell how scared he was, how much pain he was probably going through and all that stuff. And the only thing I wanted was like, just put him under, put him under the sucks. You know, I'd quit torturing him. And I was worried that he'd remember that he has no memory of that. So I'm really grateful that he doesn't have a memory of that. So I, I really trust my dad obviously. So I'm going to give him a much larger benefit of the doubt than this Eben Alexander guy for obvious reasons. He's my dad, right? And if my dad can go through not the similar experiences, obviously this guy had severe brain trauma that had a disease that attacked his brain personally and and some other miraculous, very unique situations. But my dad also flatlined. He also experienced, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he had to have at least gone to whatever that light was or whatever that was. Why is it that he couldn't remember anything? Why, why is it that this Alexander guy was so blessed or uniquely gifted to have this memory and then profit, you know, profess it to everybody else to say, no, this happens. This happens to everybody else. And then he says, Oh, there's tens of thousands of other people that have had ND experiences that have very similar experiences as well. Like, well, yeah, they had brain trauma, you know, experiences as well. And there's pretty good scientific evidence that shows, you know, the tunnel of light experiences, hallucinations, overwhelming emotions, all that kind of stuff. So there are some circumstantial evidence to show that there are explanations for some of the things that he experienced. So that's where I'm like, Okay. As a product of the imagination. Right. Where the yeah. brain, the brain can conjure certain things, even with his, what was his, his sister, the face that was on the butterfly or whatever. Oh yeah. 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 The, the, the his biological well, sister. Yeah, that he biological didn't. sister. Right. So there, there's even just some very loose, you know, explanations to that, even though it, it is a very miraculous, very, who the hell knows what that's all about. It could very well be divine. It very well could have some sort of spiritual universal connection. Who knows? I, who the hell knows? Why do some people get coronavirus and die and other people don't? There's like right. a, hundred, well, a guy yeah. that's 104 years old that just survived the coronavirus and he had survived World War II and all these other 
ailments in his life, they were listing them off on the news. And I was just like, wow, why do some people, and this is something that I think of all the time, Tom, I ask myself constantly, why are some people getting this virus and dying and other people hardly have any symptoms at all? Or, you know, whatever, why, why do some people have near-death experiences and recall them and other people don't? Well, uh, my, my thought is, is some people, their brains manufacture the memories and some people don't. So that's, that's not, I'm not saying that's what's real or what's really happening for these individuals. I just, you know, like Jake, for example, we talked about that, right? So he went through cardiac arrest. He, he experienced the other side as well. And he just has a lack of anything. There's just nothing there. Again, it's like, well, all the, I mean, cause, and I, I've never done a survey. I've never gone through people that have, you know, crossed the other side or whatever. And, you know, people that have ND experiences and they just don't write about, well, I, I don't remember anything. <laughs> there was nothing there. I don't even know what died. You know, all my memories are essentially secondhand stories of watching me on, on the table, you know, and it just, it's, I don't know. I feel like while we're highlighting all the people that have these weird, very strange memories, even, the, even if they're very wonderful, you know, that's the one thing about this Alexander story that I loved is the, the universal love seemed to be the atmosphere that just encompassed everything. I mean, right. hell yeah. Like sign me up. And then <laughs> that sounds awesome. And I even like the whole music, the vibration thing. I talked to Glenn about this. I thought that was wonderful. Everything was peaceful. I, I even liked where he's like, I did not want to leave, you know, have the idea of coming back sucked. I didn't want to do that. That sounds great too. But, you know. I, I so, know. so Christy talked about the experience that she witnessed with, you know, with your mother as you were with her as she was passing. Have you ever, whether it's been like a direct experience like that, Tom, or, or known anyone that has reported a near-death experience that you actually have found credible? Or, or have you never had that experience where, so I'll, I'll, and I'll tell you why I'm asking is because when, when I was growing up, my, my best friend, you probably remember the story, this guy that was in the wheelchair, his name was Kevin. Yeah. And the reason he was in the wheelchair is because when he was five years old, his dad was flying the family in a private plane and it crashed. And, uh, Kevin and his dad were the only ones that uh, had any injuries. There were the, the mother and two sisters were fine. Um, but Kevin's dad had a near death experience and he wrote it all down afterwards. And he like Kevin and I would, would spend nights, you know, when you're 16 years old and you know, you're staying up late at night and talking about the universe and all these things. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know what to believe with this because um his dad was given a choice to either stay in the spirit world or come back. And he was shown different options and he was shown that if he came back, they would have five more children. I think it was five. And um, he knew exactly what their sexes would be. He knew what their names would be. He saw Kevin get married and described who the, the woman was that Kevin married. Um, and so of course, as, as Kevin and I are, you know, 16 year old and he was always trying to get that information from his dad. Like, who was it? What does she look like dad? And he, he'd never get, like, 
<laughs> she was actually, but, um, but, but, but when, so when, when he got engaged, his mom told him, by the way, she, she fits the description that your dad said, but, but Kevin's dad also suffered severe brain damage as a result of this accident and his entire personality changed and he became violent. They did have these kids that he saw, but like one time, I don't remember if he actually dropped him or that his wife was afraid. So she divorced him. The family broke up. He was, he was terribly abusive to Kevin and, and one of his younger brothers. And Kevin had like this love hate relationship with his dad. And like, there were parts of that story that he wanted to believe and parts that he didn't want to believe, but he couldn't entirely dismiss it because of the hits. And, and I know we've had the conversation about the hits and the misses and, and those kinds of things. But so be, because I had that experience as a kid exploring this near-death experience story with my friend and his dad and his family, I think I'm more open to them when I, when I hear them. And so that's why I'm asking you the question, if, if you had any experience where you, you ever heard one, heard ones that seemed credible to you or not. Uh, not necessarily NDEs, but I've got a crap ton of like very miraculous spiritual experiences, whether it's personal or my mom, especially, or my dad and my, and my sort of surrogate father who survived a terrible fire accident. Um, I mean, yeah, like, I don't know. There, there's, there's a ton of them. <laughs> I, I, but that what's weird for me, and I think I've talked about this before. I had like what I would have considered a vision or like the, the heavens opening and whatever I witnessed or experienced was so real. I immediately wrote it all down. I think it was a dream though, but I wrote it all down because it was so vivid and it was, before I even went on my mission and I was dreaming that I was on my mission and I was with this guy and, and like the house was just completely vivid, the street, like everything, the little light pole, like everything was perfect. Everything was there. And I wrote it all down and then I'm on my mission and sure shit. I see that house. <laughs> I go knock on the door and I, and I'm having like chills from my, toes to my freaking eyebrows i'm just like i can't freaking believe this is happening i go knock on the door no one's there <laughs> and just like all the air is let out and i and i knocked on that door for i swear like 10 minutes i'm like there's gotta be there is no way that god would give me that vision set this all up for right this time and then <laughs> give me all these chills like this was like having a spiritual confirmation on steroids like i was I was so jazzed up on this is it. I am now transferring from belief into perfect knowledge. <laughs> like I am one of those people who just had a vision that's coming true right here, right now. And no one's home. God didn't <laughs> tell them they were, they, maybe this is the time you need to be home. Cause Tom's coming over. Like I sent him a <laughs> message earlier and him and his companion are going to be there. Like I set this whole vision up and you guys have got to be home. He didn't leave a message or a postcard or a little post-it note to say, stay home between two to four because Tom and the missionary is coming. Had you masturbated that day? <laughs> yeah, that's it. You're going you're gonna to put the guilt on me that that didn't happen. <laughs> but no, actually, I absolutely hadn't. I didn't, I didn't do that on my mission at all. Oh, but wow. The, yeah, but the thing is, is... You get an award. But the thing is, is I was... 
Like the air was sucked out of me so fast. I just sat there and was like, this is unfreaking believable. And I was so discouraged and disappointed. Like my faith actually was like sh- shook up because there was no logical reason. <laughs> and, it's, and I crack up thinking about it now that like God did all this, but he just couldn't keep them home. Yeah. They weren't home. And I went back to the house later and still like, you know, no one was home. And I don't know if it was like a vacation home or what, but I don't know what, what the deal was. Well, Did you, you know, know I, I had almost an identical experience to that. It was, it wasn't a dream that I had before my mission, but it was, it was while I was on my mission, you know, like you pray before you leave for the evening to go out and do tracting. And I saw in my, in my mind and I can still see it. I could paint it if, if I was a painter, this, this, building and this row of trees and this canal in in the city of Hiroshima that I I didn't know where it was. I had no idea, but I saw this picture in my head and I'm like, okay, elder, follow me. And so like on my bike, I remember I, I had like this pressure in my head that would be like, go straight, turn right, turn left. And like after 10 or 15 minutes of just kind of like doing that, I turn the corner and boom, there is that thing that I saw. And I like that chills. Like I had that experience. We went to the top of this building and we started working our way down and we actually did find somebody who was interested. And it turned out that he was a twin and his sister was a member of our ward. And so we started, we started uh, giving him the discussions and, and uh, you know, I was, I was thinking the same thing that you were like, Oh yeah, this guy's, he's going to get baptized. He's going to be like a state president. And, you know, like it's all because me, <laughs> being worthy and faithful like yeah. he by and uh he he took a couple of discussions and then he he dropped off and nothing ever came of it and, and i was kind of like wait what but all that and then this uh, is, yeah. so that's why i didn't know we had that in common oh great yeah so. Me. that's a, that's interesting because i wonder too if you know tom if they had been home the people and they had gotten baptized and you had this big, huge experience because your expectation from your dream was that when you saw actually on your mission, your expectation had to do with the Mormon church, right? So if that had all come to fruition, right, would you have been able to ever question the church in the future? Because uh, you rely wholly on that experience. Sometimes our own expectations of our interpretation of what's happening is attached to something and it doesn't become true or doesn't work out the way we think because that's not the avenue of where we're supposed to go, you know, but in our own way. That's what I'm thinking as well, Christy. Yeah, because on my mission, I mean, I had a few spiritual experiences and I'll tell you something that maybe only a handful of people know and I trust you to tell, I trust to tell you this. Um, because it sounds far-fetched, but I got sick a couple times on my mission and, uh, it was the middle of Minnesota and we lived in a cement downstairs of someone's house, no windows. And I was very, very sick. And, um, I don't know if I told you that just before, but my companion called the zone leaders over and said, you need to give her a blessing. Like, she's not doing well. Like, nobody thinks to go to the hospital, right? They just <laughs> So the zone leaders come over, and they are about to put oil on my head. And then they stepped back, and they said, ooh, um, we can't give you a blessing. And I was like, I'm sorry, what the hell? Like, 
you know what? Because they had masturbated earlier that day. They must have, uh, because that's that's the theme tonight. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What had happened is they stood back and they said, and I quote, um, we don't feel that you're worthy of this. What? Those were their words. And my companion's mouth dropped open. And I said, you guys need to leave. Yeah, right. Right? Wow. Wow. So here's what happened that night. <laughs> so I'm, I'm laying in bed, and I remember just having a hard time breathing. But, I mean, I wasn't like, you know, needing an ambulance or anything. But I remember I thought I saw, like, these white orbs, you know, like you always hear about tunnels and, like, weird stuff. And I just remember looking like, are my eyes just trying to focus? And I was laying down in bed. It was pitch dark and my companions in her bed asleep. And so the next thing I know, my companion's like shaking me. And I'm like, what's the problem? And she's like, um, who's Gerald? And I'm like, why? And she goes, because you're yelling out his name and telling him not to leave. And I go, Gerald was my grandfather who died when I was two. And I said, she goes, no, you were like calling for him. Like you didn't want him to leave you. And I was like, whoa. Like, and I had no memory of any of that. But it was kind of like, you wonder, like, did something happen? Did maybe I see him? Did I get close? You know, um, and eventually I went to the hospital and, you know, did the normal human being thing and got medication and got better and became worthy of the penalty. <laughs> That's awful that happened. What oh the fuck, right? right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my God. Yeah, but it was weird because I went from that experience of being told I'm not worthy to having some kind of this spiritual thing happen where my companion's like, you're yelling for Gerald not to leave. And I'm like, the only Gerald I've ever known is my grandfather, you know, who was actually a really good man, you know, but I don't know. Well, it's interesting when you're talking about the spiritual experiences, you know, even if, if people had been home at that house and if I baptized them or whatever, that would have kept me in. I, there was, there was an experience and I know I've talked about this before. So my son, he almost died when he was born and my wife, you know, she was dangerously close. She had some real severe medical complication, but we almost lost him. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I found like an empty hospital room and I did the whole get on my knees, just just crying my eyes out, say, take me now if it'll mean that he'll survive. And I'll, you know, making every last ditch effort deal with God. Like, what, what do I got to do? to let him pull through if there's anything physically mentally emotionally spiritually anything i can do i'll put everything on the line anything and he survived that that experience in particular still hurts when i think about it because i feel like i've neget like uh reneged on my deal what because you felt like the conditions of his being healed were faithfulness in the mormon church Yeah. Like I was, the thing is, is like I had a laundry list of things that I promised God that I would do. And one of them was that I would remain faithful for the rest of my life. So I, 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 you know, as you were telling that story and I I do remember you talking about it before, but I was, I was thinking to myself, what, why is it that 
you know, we've all had these kind of spiritual experiences, but then we leave the church and there's this tendency to just discount them as all just a figment of our imagination. And it was just all part of the fabric of lies that we were told as Mormons. And so a lot of people just discount them and move the other way. And like, I don't want to hear anything about that stuff anymore. And and I'm wondering, is that maybe then giving too much power to the Mormon church still to interpret life for us? I don't know. Maybe. I, I mean, from my experience, um, once I, once I come to terms with the actual veil being removed, that they are not what they purport to be, then I feel like the deals were off the table. Yeah. But, but it could just be, it. it could just be that their explanation of what was going on was wrong or not completely right. Maybe parts of it are right. You know, parts of it are wrong. And, um, but we tend to just, at least I have, tend to just like discount it completely and be like, oh, there's, it's nothing. I've had well, experience after leaving the church, mm, quite a few. Yeah. So I don't think it's just conditional with being Mormon or being Catholic or being in whatever organized religion. Right. I think it's a personal experience. But, yeah, I've, I've, oh, I'm sorry. No, please, Christy, go. I, I've, one of the things that I've kind of come to terms with is that, and I think I talked about this before, is that I think people of all religions can have, you know, spiritual experiences. They can have them while they're in church. They can have them anywhere. But I think the problem with us as humans is we, we seem to want to attach it to something. Instead of it just being you having a moment with your creator, it's you have to be like, oh, well, I was sitting in the Mormon church and the president of the church was speaking and I had this huge spiritual experience where I felt God. So all of a sudden your interpretation is, well, here's a prophet of God. It's not like, oh, I wonder what God needs. I'm going to go out in the parking lot and have a little talk with him, right? Because we think it's attached to something. When in reality, I don't think it should be really put on anything. Right. Yeah. In a way, Glenn, like when you're talking about it, we discount those experiences. I don't discount that experience. Maybe, maybe at times, maybe I have through my processing out of the church, but I look at it like, you know, I was looking through the world with these Mormon glasses on. And then when I took the Mormon glasses off, then I look at all those experiences completely different. Like they don't even, some of them don't even look the same anymore. And now I really don't know what to make of a lot of them, but I do know like with my son in particular, that's an extremely powerful experience and it's complicated and it's difficult and it's a really touchy emotional thing for not just me, but my wife as well. And I don't really know what to do. I'm very lean or I'm very hesitant of giving God the credit because the doctor was the one that noticed the oxygen levels and the prolapse cord and all that stuff. Like he was the one that I kind of feel like if I'm going to give anybody credit, I got to give that doctor the credit that noticed all the problems as soon as, you know, what if he was just using his intuition, you know, that there's something wrong with this. Yeah. All of his experience sort of got him to a place where he's like, I should check this just in case. Oh my gosh. Holy crap. And then, then, uh, you know, he saved my son. Yeah. I don't know. Well, who knows? That's the thing is, I think, I think you're right, Christy, is we try to put these attachments and these meanings 
onto our experiences. And really, we don't know. We just yeah. don't know. It's like we limit. We, I think we almost limited ourselves because, Tom, what if you were never Mormon and that experience happened with your son and you're pleading with God, you know, and you're just a child of God pleading for your son, but because you're experience of what religion you were at the time and the way the religion kind of overtakes every part of our life you know automatically you're going to attach it to that you know but what if god just saw you as his child praying for his other child you know that was in your care and what if that doctor was given a gift at birth to become a doctor to save your son one day yeah, well, I think I think that's a powerful question. That uh, that if I just believed in some sort of nebulous God, you know, not one that's tied with any particular dogmatic religion, that could have been a very very powerful experience. I think something where it's like, you know, I, I'm I'm now giving credit to something that's not necessarily defined by gender. It's not some old white guy that has a Jesus and all that stuff. <laughs> Or, you know, Joseph and Peter, James, and John or whatever. Um, I, I feel like if that was the case, I, yeah, I definitely think there would be a lot more spiritual importance that I could have uh, maybe given credit to. Because now, unfortunately, and maybe I'll get to a place where I can, I can remove all the Mormon scales from that experience. But it's just so interwoven that when I look at it, I'm like, sorry, God. I mean, if there is a God that was involved in that, sorry, I was given the Mormon God credit at the time. Sorry, dude. Or, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I, I totally missed the mark. Like I was giving, I was giving the Mormon God credit, but I wasn't given the real God credit, but I didn't even know you were around, man. Like I didn't even know what was going on. So I don't know. Funny. <laughs> so I think God didn't mind. Yeah. So there, there's one aspect of the, um, the, the Eben Alexander story that I think can be a little problematic. Um, and and, and we, we talked about this a little bit, Tom, and we talked about it several times, that from an eternal perspective, here's one of the messages that he's bringing back from the other side, is that there's really nothing that anybody can do that's wrong. There's really nothing that anybody can do. So like when, when you were talking earlier, Christy, about your dad and the lives that he's ruined, um, that's the here and now lives that he's ruined. But from what Eben Alexander would say, that from an eternal perspective, from these spiritual beings that we are, that this life is like one little speck of experience, there's nothing that can ruin anybody's experience. And it's all experience that it, it moves us towards love, um, unconditional love, healing, even if it's just creating the need to heal or something like, like that. And I think that we've had conversations before, Christy, about the, how, how tricky that is to like look at the perspective that you have on life now and the way that that was formed based on the things that, that happened to you. And like you could never say, I'm grateful that this happened to me. But you can say, I'm grateful for how I've responded to it or how I feel or, you know, something along those lines. 
Right. I think what that guy was talking about when he did bring that up, because I remember him saying that, and I was yeah. like, oh, um, yeah. like Scooby-Doo, what? Um, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I think when he was talking about that, he meant in the hereafter. Yeah. I think that in the hereafter, it's not going to matter. I mean, you got the life review, but I think once you're past all that and you've felt what you had to fill, I think we're all kind of welcomed in to this place of love and learning again. Um, and it doesn't, that's why I'm, I'm really cautious to say that we still have to have laws and we still have to take care of business while we're here on the earth. That doesn't give anybody a free pass. Right. You know, so if he's saying, you know, nobody can do any wrong, well, maybe on in the hereafter in heaven, they look at it differently than how we as humans view it. So that's in a higher spiritual plane. But while you're here on earth as a human, oh, hell yeah, there better be consequences. Right. And yeah, there is some wrong and crime that needs to be paid for and taken care of. Otherwise, I don't think we would be born with, you know, the humanity part of the anger. I mean, why would we be given anger? It's not a bad thing. I mean, anger can move us to take care of business. It's not bad. It's bad if you go nutty with it, you know. Or but, if you hurt somebody else. Huh? If you hurt somebody else with that anger. Yeah. I mean, to the point, I mean, I think that guy was speaking in terms of the other side is as why you're in heaven or whatever that realm is. It's a different understanding. And so maybe over there, they don't look at it the way we do. But right now we're humans. We're having, what's that saying? That we're not, um, we're, we're not human having beings having a spiritual experience. Yeah. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. So during this human experience, part of being human is feeling anger, rage, all those things. And maybe we're going to end up being the people that take down the bad guys. And that's okay. You know, but in the hereafter, maybe it's different. After the life review. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. That's my only way I can explain what I heard him say. What do you think, Glenn? What are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. No. No? Tom's all hell no. I'm not touching that one either. Well, I, I wouldn't say that, but there's a little bit, maybe. I, I just... I don't, I really, really don't, I, I bristle at the idea of uh, they'll get theirs after this life because there's just so much hope and belief in that. And it just doesn't work for me. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. you know, really, really terrible people is I, I kind of need them to get their comeuppance uh, sooner than later. And I don't like the idea of like, Oh, they'll die. Especially, like what Alexander says, they just have a life review. That's it. Like all the trauma, all the wake of destruction they left from the abuse or whatever else he did. And then all they had to do was watch a DVD for 45 minutes or whatever. Well, but that's, that's not what, sucks. that's not that's, what he's, specifically what he said. Yeah. And that's, right. that, that's also not what karma is. If we're, if we're going back to the, the karma where, you know, what goes around comes around that, there would be another life where the abuser would then be abused or, you know, like would, would, would understand what it's like to be in that situation. Um, 
and, and that might even be what the life review experience is. It might be this like virtual reality thing where you're experiencing it from all perspectives um, and feeling that from all perspectives. That is a hell. That would be a hell. It wouldn't be an eternal torment, but it would be like a, a significant one. Uh, I still think you should do all in your power to bring about justice. If, you know, um, for me, I couldn't sit back. I mean, I never sat back and just never cared, you know, because you try to go on with your life and it's still nagging at you. So for me, I had to literally do whatever I could. And then I put it into God's, you know, hands and, and said, yeah, I need justice. We need justice. We've got a whole family. We have people dying. Like, what the hell? You know? And then that's when these things started falling into place that had to do with the film and then all these other things. Just the whole universe opened up and then it started helping other victims and people coming forward. And so it was almost like the universe, like somehow you, it's like there's some kind of a willingness for me, this is what happened. When you reach out and offer yourself up with humility and say, okay, obviously I'm not in charge. I don't understand your power. I don't know why things happen. None of this makes sense. But I am willing to learn and to do whatever it takes because here's what I need. Can we put that in the mix? And that's kind of what happened. You know, I think there has to be some kind of a, I don't know. Wow. Because if I had sat back and we had done nothing with my mom's story and how that spiritual experience happened and also the horrible stuff, if we had just sat back and never did anything and said, well, we'll just let God take care of him in the next life okay, well, what about all the other kids being hurt by him when you could do something about it, you know? So I don't believe that we should just sit back and be like, well, you know, nothing we can do. And it's like, no, there's a lot you can do. Yeah, and I, I think, fight tooth and nail for that. I think, I think that that's, that's a vital part that you just highlighted that I think about for victims is a lot of the sense of justice is just to see the whether it's criminal activity, abuse, or whatever it is, just stopped. Can we just stop at least the wake of victims from this individual? That, that's like one of the things that got to bring that scale of justice back into balance. And that's a vital, important one. Because I think for a victim, and I, what was that documentary? I think you recommended it, Christy, on social media somewhere, um, where she wasn't believed it's a Netflix series. So she, she talks about being raped and then she's interrogated and the interrogators convince her that it, it didn't really happen. Some of the evidence makes it look like that she might be making it up, like she's not really trustworthy. Does, does this ring a bell to anybody? Yeah, it's on Netflix. I, I don't know if I brought it up, but yeah, I think it's called Believed or something with that name. Unbelievable in it. or something? But yeah, and it's a true, I think it's a true story. Yeah, yeah. Because all those things kind of happened and then people dropped the ball and then people yeah. like misjudged her. And in reality, it happened. Yeah. You know, but it shows how these things unfold 
when nobody is taking it seriously or they just assume with your humanness you know because we're weak but you it was an it was an injustice but then our story came out right and helped a lot of people well and and the really scary or sad part of the entire show is if she would have been believed or if they would have followed her story up they could have prevented several rapes down the road and i think that's the kind of hell that people have to deal with even the victims you know the prior victims would be like are you guys shitting me like a minimum at minimum we should have been able to stop future victims from this situation and that's that's like the one scale of justice that seems not unreasonable to request by any means (laughs) you know stop the wake of tragedy anyway yeah i think it's our obligation to do that tooth and nail i totally believe in that we should hold these people accountable and do whatever we can to stop the abuse or crime or whatever it is you know but at some point at some point you're gonna have to surrender if there's nothing more you can personally do about it and that's the hard part yeah hard is in like damn how do you let that go Try to well, sleep. And, try to sleep at night now, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And and that that that's kind of the 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 question that I have now is you know, Evan Alexander talks about in this afterlife, this realm, it's all unconditional love, acceptance, forgiveness, which Tom says he's on board with. But when it comes to this kind of stuff, where do you find that balance, and where do you draw the line? What is what does forgiveness mean? In a, in a situation like this, an unconditional love, how do you how, well, how do you find that that balance? My my take is is it's a conditional forgiveness. You can't just give forgiveness. You have to see certain steps or actions take place first. Like I said, uh, if someone wrongs you tragically or tra- traumatically, you've got to you've got to know for certain that no other victims are going to come in place. I think that's a requirement. Then there's a few other things. And I'm curious if Christy feels this way because I think it's not out of uh, out of reach or out of bounds to even ask for an apology. <laughs> it, it depends on the situation, but you know, like Glenn has said forever, like what if the person is unable to offer an apology? And then that's another conundrum. There's another dilemma for you. Like what, then what do you do? You do you just kind of hit a crossroads and you're like, well, I guess we don't get to the the path of forgiveness and healing and all that stuff. And we'll just have to stay right here in the fork in the road, I guess. I don't know. Well, and, and it's how do you maintain this is wrong under no circumstances is what you did. Okay. And yet there's forgiveness. Like how do those things co- coexist? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think for me personally, um, <clears throat> it's like when I, I truly feel maybe not a hundred percent, but when I, I was making peace with my mom when she was dying mm-hmm. and literally holding her hand and release, like I personally wanted to release her from whatever that happened in this life so that she could move forward to this different realm because it became this huge spiritual thing. However, I, it's, I've heard it my whole life and it sounds so cliche, 
but the whole thing is you get the justice and you do everything that you possibly can do and then at some point you need to relieve yourself of this burden yeah. because the burden is so gigantic that it's like when I said before when we sat across from my dad and I realized there were no pictures of us in the house like he had literally moved on had a different life and I had been carrying this burden for decades and he had just gone on and I thought whoa so there was this shift that day where it's almost like I became this adult and he was like the child or we just switched roles and I was able when I gave him that hug there was like a transfer of being able to say like whatever happens to you now at this point is on you but I'm going to let it go for me and for me it literally just it was like almost a physical thing and so when people talk about forgiveness I didn't let him off the hook I mean I still ended up suing him in federal court you know I'm still fighting for certain things that doesn't mean but I don't carry that burden like he never carried it I was carrying his burden for him you know, he got to go have the life I should have had, you know, but it, it released me. And so I think there's this confusion, like forgiveness allows them to get off the hook. No, make them pay. You know, that doesn't mean you don't forgive them. It just means you're relieving yourself of this heaviness because it is a heavy thing that you carry around. And I know it sounds cliche, like, but forgiveness really does. It's for you. I love the way you worded that. How, do how, how do you do it? It happened when my mom died, you know, and when I was given the gift to look at her, I'm telling you, it was miraculous because when I, and there's that thing where I went to my creator and I asked specifically, please, I've got to take care of her. You know, she's going to be gone soon. I don't want to hate her and I don't want to hurt her, right? And because of, I think I was willing to do that, I was gifted with this different view of life and our, and our existence here. And ever since that day, it's been that way for me, you know? And I, it's like with people, like I've had, of course we've all had people really hurt us you know, and I seek justice, but I have to be careful of revenge versus justice. Yeah. Because boy, I get real close to that. Like, I'm going to kick his ass. I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to love it. Yeah, and I literally <laughs> have had to teach myself to back the hell off when I get that far into it. And I take a couple days and I write it down. And I'm always glad that I do because if you seek it spiritually, there's something about the, a shift that happens in your understanding and it doesn't get them off the hook at all. It gets you off the hook so that you're able to just put it over there. Cause now my dad, he doesn't give a shit. I mean, he's still happy 
old, shaking, who knows. And I'm off doing comedy now. I'm writing memoirs. I'm meeting people in LA. Like, I have a life now. I'm not carrying around this huge thing like, okay, well, he's got to have to pay now, right? Because I've literally done everything within my power that I could possibly do. Is he still doing it? I don't know. I've worked with the cops in Lehigh. I've done everything I can. And at some point now for me, I got it taken off of me. And I have no feelings for my dad. I know that sounds really weird, but I just, I see him as just another human being. I don't look at him as my father. And now when I go forward and I date and I don't put a burden on these men that I see, you know, I'm not looking for a father figure to come in and rescue me or give me everything my dad didn't. I've relieved that from them too. You know, it's just, it, there's some kind of shift that happens and it's totally worth learning how to forgive. It's worth learning what that looks like, at least trying it out, even in small steps. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Nothing can follow that up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> beautiful. It really was. Oh, thanks. Yeah, life's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and it's terrible sometimes. <laughs> really shitty sometimes. Yeah. Really beautiful and amazing other times. Yes. Yeah. It's quite a mix. And I don't I don't always understand everything about life. I I just think that we have to realize that there is, we are very limited as humans in our understanding. We just are. Yeah. It's not a satisfactory answer though. Just I still want to kick with, some ass. Do you want to go kick someone's ass? I'm yes, I do. I want to kick some ass and then some. Lift the quarantine just so we can kick ass, right? <laughs> just temporary. Those oh, have it. This uses a really long baseball bat. Yeah, <laughs> right. I want to throw down. I do. I still give those feelings. Like I want to throw down. My sister Kathy, boy, she was a tough chick. You know, we would be somewhere. I was dating this guy, and we went to a high school reunion. He was the big football player. Like, and I didn't date him in high school, but we were dating, and nobody knew. And so he walked in before me, and then all these girls are like grabbing his ass. And my sister Kathy leaped across two tables and literally smacked a woman. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, girl, like you could throw down. <laughs> but I, you know, you just you have to learn what you can and can do. But we're just human. Well, that was a that was really good, dude. I re I really enjoyed the conversation, Christy. Yeah, me too. It was it was awesome. So I don't I don't want to ruin the moment, you know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, when Glenn's quiet, like that's all. Something. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, good to talk to you again. You too. Thanks so much. Take care. All right, you too. Bye, guys. Bye. Hi. I'm Celeste, and I like to listen to Infants on Thrones as I walk up the south stairs to BYU campus, checking out the Potawatomi plums, smelling the lilacs, and wondering what on earth possessed those Mormons to pick up their Garden of Eden 
and try to come and plant it in Utah. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. If you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? And I'm grateful to gratitude itself. It helps me look for the good. Look for the good. Thank you, thank you. I look for the good. Thank you, thank you. Look for the good. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.